Hello everyone and welcome back to the History Hour here on KZMU. I'm your host and guide Blaine. And today we're going to be starting a very special series on none other than Mr. Bates Wilson. He was the father of Canyonlands, he was a Dutch oven diplomat, he was an explorer, and most importantly he was a visionary. And today we're going to be hearing it from those who knew him best, his friends and his family. Um, My name is Caroline Wilson, and I was the youngest daughter, the youngest child, and the second daughter of Bates and Edie Wilson. We moved to Arches National Monument when I was a year and a half in 1949. Uh, My name is Julia Wilson Sean Sucker, and my father is Bates Wilson, and I grew up uh, at Arches and went to school in Moab, Utah. Well, I'm Alan Wilson, a nickname of Tug from Moab time frame. Um, Bates is my father. I'm 86 years old. I moved to Moab in 1949 and spent 10 years there and then off to college and back many, many times. He had a lovely way of of never sounding, um, how do I want to say it, scholarly or too intellectual or to uh, above professor-like, mm-hmm. not at all. He had yeah. a lovely way of just talking mm. in, a, in a, a normal voice, normal words and conversation, like he might have been talking about the weather mm-hmm. when he was explaining these things, geology in, in particular. And people could understand him and they could appreciate it. And then he was just fun. He would throw in funny little jokes. As I remember as a kid, he was a really fun person to be around. And he would, every April Fool's Day, he would make us pancakes with something like cotton in it. Um, and we knew it was coming, but he thought he surprised us all the time. But he was fond of pulling tricks on people, and he liked to laugh and have a good time. Although he could be really serious about things like getting candy lands established. But as kids, he was very supportive of our activities um, and always tried to encourage us a lot. He was a very positive person. He was a caring person. He was uh, extremely handsome, um, worked ex- very, very hard in all kinds of different uh, tasks. Uh, he had unusual vision for land. He liked people, he learned from people, and he also taught people at the same time. Bates Wilson and his family arrived in Moab in 1949. He accepted the role as a general superintendent over Arches National Monument and Natural Bridges National Monument. So during his time of him being general superintendent um, until 1972, he did many things for the Arches area. So we're going to go talk to his family and his friends, and we're going to hear some of these wonderful memories about Bates Wilson and Arches National Monument. He had laid out that new entrance road, the new one, which went up to, you know, switchbacks through the Navajo uh, Formation up behind the Rock House and that, excuse me, onto the east and around the corner. The original entrance road, as you know, was way over near the entrance to um, to Island in the Sky, Portion Canyonlands, and Dead Horse Point. It was off Seven Mile Canyon near that. And we rescued people when that wash, when that courthouse wash used to run. But he, he, and I don't know who else helped him, but 
laid out that new entrance road. Of course, Ed Abbey was following along behind him, pulling up all those stakes. <laughs> I don't think Daddy, I don't know if Daddy even knew about that. Of course, Abby wrote about that at a later time. But um, but Bates's goal, Daddy Bates, I use those terms interchangeably, was to put in a road, other than the switchbacks in the beginning, there was no way to disguise those. But beyond that, put in a road that would not be very visible. He didn't want, you know, just a straight line, big arrow of black pavement. And we were out there together one Sunday afternoon, not long after this new road had been put in it. Perhaps it wasn't even open. I don't think it was even open yet to travel to the public. And we stopped at one of the overlooks, I think it's called the Sal Overlook, as I recall. And he said, now, I want you to look to the north. Look north and tell me what you see. Well, growing up with my father, (laughs) being able to see things like spotting Indian ruins way up on the cliffs was really important. And, you know, we got all kinds of praise (laughs) from both our parents when all of those kids when we were able to spot something like an Indian ruin a little granary on a cliff so I am really squinting and I'm looking north from La Salle viewpoint and I just I really couldn't see much of anything I just said well I see a lot of rock but I don't see anything I don't see any Indian ruins I don't see anything special and he said it was really cute he said that's it. And he clapped his hands and he said, that's exactly what I wanted. You don't see the road, do you? And I said, well, what road? And he said, well, the new road that we're, that we just drove on to get up here. And I said, well, I guess, no, I don't see it. Was that supposed to be the right answer? And that was what he wanted. That was one of his little tests to see how visible at any given vantage point, not just LaSalle, viewpoint the road was and his goal was to have it not visible at all or as the least amount of visibility was his desire i remember once when i was a little kid walking around with him in the the campground i think they had just completed that campground in the windows area and he was telling me um about each little draw that went in and that we had to be careful not to disturb the soil and uh, be careful of the plants too and they're they're all beautiful little draws where the campsites are and that was one of his favorite campgrounds that he designed he liked to do that design roads and campgrounds yeah it's it the uh the campground up there in the devil's garden it remains to be a very very scenic beautiful place so um, it is isn't it it's very nice and mm-hmm. the trails too we did hike when we had visitors come usually from back east family members or, or friends that's one place where we would go into landscape arch and hike through there and he loved taking people in there <laughs> so he did like showing people his park and we thought that it was his park when we were little um we didn't realize it was a national park that belonged to the whole country. (laughs) When we moved to Moab, um, the prior park people, so to speak, monument people, 
weren't very engaged with the town. So I think my father immediately joined the Lions Club and he immediately began to make what turned out to be long-term friendships with various people in Moab, all the way from the hotel owners, the gas station owners, the tradespeople, the few there were, um, the pharmacists, um, the Mormon church, and and cetera, um, and trying to convince them that uh, there was a lot more to Moab than just a pass-through town on, on dirt road that you if you talk to the tourists and provided information about different things to see, they would um, they might stay an extra night. Typical was if you went into Arches Cafe or Robertson Gas Station and asked what Arches about. Well, quite often, the response from the attendant or the waitress would be just a bunch of rocks with holes in them. And uh, he tried to get them to understand it's more than that. Well, when we got there in April of 49, Arches, as all monuments, by the way, had been largely unattended during World War II, starting essentially in December 1941. So that's about eight and a half years of very little maintenance, no, no visionary things. And um, in 41, the country was coming out of a large depression, so very little had been done to the monuments and parks that had been priorly designated. The, the rock house we lived in was built by the CCCs, um, and there was an entrance road started that ran up behind the house, which is now has been completed. But to get into Arches, you drove up near Dalton Wells, went across a Courthouse Wash, what might be called the Willow Flats Road, uh, terribly sandy, people got stuck all the time in Courthouse. Um, very rough dirt road into arches. It wasn't very hospitable. Um, the trails, uh, the landscape was in sand, an awful um, double arch to get to that beautiful feature. It was about a mile and a half, very rough trail, not steep, but rough. And um, his vision at that point was, let's try to make it better, um, but he didn't have any resources to do it. And then along comes Dwight Eisenhower, with the interstate highway system and what's called Mission 66, which began in 56, which was to improve the monuments and parks in general and include not only the physical structures and things like that, toilets, etc., but also the housing for the staff, etc. So we started getting some improvements to our housing. The road was begun to be completed. And the visitor center, the first one at Arches, was made. And there's a funny story related to that. How, how big do you make the restrooms? Well, when we arrived at Arches, there was 4,000 people a year. was approximate visitation. We were coming from El Moro with maybe 400 people a year. So that sounded like a lot. So in, when Mission 66 started in 56, his vision for the visitor center, well, there'll probably never be more than 40,000 visitors at Arches. Uh, today you have what about 1.3 mil. So um, the first size of the visitors center restrooms was for 40,000 visitors, and um, per year. And of course, that's far surpassed. He he wanted people to have a good experience, and he wanted people of all levels of ability to see something. And if you'd been to Arches in '49, 
if you weren't pretty rugged, you wouldn't be able to see very much. I, I had a little guide service, and kind of the principal thing was not only knowing where to take people, but I would carry their water and cameras because the trails were long, hard, sandy, etc. Um, and he thought that was not the best thing for visitors. He wanted them to have more access. So you have the road to Double Arch, you had a greatly improved trail to land to a delicate arch, and also a vastly improved easy hike to landscape and flash floods. Um, and finally, he fixed that when the gentleman from New Jersey in a four-wheel drive pickup, Studebaker, was unusual, but probably an offshoot from the Second World War, um, rolled that truck in, in, in the quicksand, quicksand rode it on the downside of the, of the truck and flipped it over. So my dad asked him, why did you drive in here? Because there was a sign, um, do not cross the wash when in flood. And the man from New Jersey, of course, very upset, having lost his vehicle and everything, said to father, and they talked to him by the name Ranger, Ranger, um, I'm from New Jersey. There's always water in the, in the stream beds. I didn't know it was in flood. So he changed the sign. This is his learning piece from the visitors. She changed the sign, which simply say, do not cross when there's any water running. And we had no more people drive in and get stuck. Oh, good idea. <laughs> that was definitely a really good idea. Well, when he got at Arches, he had two maintenance, two people. He had a ranger and a maintenance man. And the maintenance man would come to work before sunrise, and the roads, as you say, were dirt. And where there was sand, Merle would, Winburn, the maintenance man, would load a dump truck with a number two shovel with clay and then put the clay on the sand. And, for example, getting down into salt wash, there was uh, clay, so he would haul sand and put sand on the clay so that if it if we got a cloud burst, that people wouldn't slide off the road and get stuck. So he he improved the trails. He used Mission 66 um, emphasis money to build parking lots, to build roads, and he figured out, for example, uh, where people um, like to take a photo, where they would stop. So he then made pullouts along the road because he knew they wanted to take a picture of a red rock. They maybe had never seen a red rock in their life before. So he, he tried to improve the visitor experience. The trail to Delicate, um, the slick rock about a mile and a quarter to where you start to get right up where the arch is, that's left largely the way it used to be. But from beyond that point, you had a very treacherous little piece to the right where the slick rock ends and the cliffs with the arches in start, where you actually had to walk up um, sort of a Karen chain, a post and rope or chain kind of fence to get to the arch. And he and Merle decided that, and Merle was a former miner, that they could blast out themselves um, along a seam, a trail that would bring you around um, a little butte where when you got to the top, there would be delicate arch with with LaSalle Mountains in the background. So they did that. Um, they did that with a very small bulldozer. It was half bulldozer and half air compressor and a couple of Navajo Indians who worked part-time. Vermeer largely as a miner, blasted that out himself. 
drilling a hole, very light powder charge, a large wooden fall down. The same thing he was talking to Merle one day about, um, there are people who can't see delicate. They, they can only drive, they can't walk. And Merle was pretty assured him I could just make a little road up winter camp and um, make a little parking lot and then people could at least get a glimpse of the arch. So that's what they did. He got in a whole lot of trouble for it because he once wrote in the monthly report that the um, the road to um, Delicate Arch Viewpoint had been completed. So then the powers in Washington that read these things, which are a lot of bureaucrats, I guess, uh, <laughs> said, there's no road under Winter Park um, can, uh, can, or Canyon to uh, Winter Park can, Canyon to um, a viewpoint. That's not in a master plan. So they sent an army of people out and he took them up there and they finally said, this is a good idea. Now people can see delicate. If they can't walk, they can at least get a view of it. And then that was expanded with a short little hike up on a little plateau. Um, with landscape arts, kind of funny. The trail, for some reason, went out in the sand to the east of where it is today, deep sand, very hard to walk in, particularly in a hot summer. So he and Merle figured out that they could put a trail through some fins, which is the trail you have today. But there was a very large boulder wedged in the tr in, in between two fins. Well, a landscape architect was out with my father looking at this possible new trail route and I'm, what else, I'm not sure. And um, Merle was working on the trail. The landscape guys said to Dad, you'll never get that rock out of here. I mean, that's just too big a boulder. You'll never, get, you'll never be able to move them. Uh, they maybe went out to Devil's Tower. They probably at least made it to Double O that day with the landscape guy. They come back, the rock is gone. Merle had set a few charges, blew it up, and they got it done. Um, that was... Wow kind of the way he did things. Um, he relied on his very limited staff. So that's also a very big accomplishment because with park status, you have a heck of a lot more resources. Right, and that was 1971, I believe? Something like that, before he retired, yes. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a very big step uh, to take a monument and get it to a park. I just want to give a special thanks now to Tug, Julie, and Caroline uh, for these wonderful stories that they're telling us here about their father, Bates Wilson, during his time in Arches National Monument and Park. This is kind of one of those experiences, you know, even for myself, where I've been guiding in Arches for years and been studying the history very extensively, and have even done a Arches National Park history show with this, with this broadcast here. Still learning a lot, <laughs> you know, uh, hearing hearing these wonderful stories um, and uh, just hearing it from those who were there. And I was telling them that I really wish that I could have been in Moab during that era uh, to just sort of see this progression with my own eyes. You know, whenever Bates got here in 1949, uh, in instantly, uh, I believe he fell in love with this place. He started to have these visions of what he wanted. You know, he wanted the Arches area to be a very easily accessible place for everybody, you know, and that's that whenever I'm guiding people, it doesn't matter who I'm guiding, there is something for everybody in that park. And I believe that that's because of Bates Wilson's handiwork, making places easily accessible and making hiking trails, you know, still to this day, clearly marked and in the right spots. And even the road, I mean, down to the smallest detail, 
um, that we just heard of, you know, uh, you can be in a spot and not even know that the road <laughs> is just over yonder somewhere out there. Um, it just, it just kind of blows me away. And that's, you know, all these things add up to just making a very special national park. And um, I truly 100% believe that Arches National Park that we have today that is basically, you know, one of the main attractions here in Moab directly came from that passion that Bates Wilson had. And that same passion is just resonating in this town still to this day. And I know I feel it as a guide and I know many, many others that work in Arches and Canyonlands National Parks. Uh, they definitely feel it as well. And one of the wonderful things about Bates Wilson is he was the type of guy that if he saw a need, he would see that that need was met. And one of those big, huge needs with tourism starting to spring forth here, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s, was a need for a search and rescue squad. So we're going to take a quick water break here. And whenever we get back, we're going to hear from the guys who basically started the rescue squad with Bates Wilson, Mr. Rusty Davidson and Mel Olson. So stay tuned after the break and keep that dial right here on KZMU. Dueño, 
con mi frondoso maizal, sueño con mi gran tierra de aquí, sueño con mi guajira ideal, pobre de mí, pobre de mí. Okay, everyone, we are back from our water break, and I hope everyone is good and hydrated. <laughs> so we are going to go ahead and talk with Mr. Rusty Davidson and Mel Olson here about starting a rescue squad with Bates Wilson. So we're going to jump right in with Mr. Mel Olson. 
So Mel, tell us, how did you come to know Bates Wilson and start this whole rescue squad? Well, I didn't know Bates until my sophomore year uh, that started out with the junior prom day. And that night, <laughs> uh, I didn't really want to go to the prom my sophomore year, but the, some uh, Rusty, one of, the, one of your uh, interviewees is going to talk to you, I guess, later. But uh, we, we went to the prom, and uh, I was involved in kind of organizing a party after the prom, and it ended up being at LaSalle Mountain Overlook in Arches National Monument. And before that, I don't recall ever meeting Bates. I knew he, he was a superintendent there. I, I went to school with his two daughters and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. uh, we had a party after the prom, and uh, we left there about 2 a.m., went home. The next morning I got a call about 7 a.m., and uh, my mother came in and said, there's a Mr. Wilson from the National Park Service that wants to speak with you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I met him. And he told me about the party, and he he said that, uh, you know, we, as he understood it, I was one of the people involved and uh, that I should probably meet him at the county courthouse uh, ASAP and uh, I should probably bring a couple of the party goers with me. And as it turned out, that was uh, one of your interviewees tonight, uh, Rusty, and uh, mm -hmm. another kid named Dick Mack. Mm -hmm. And we met him and he explained the situation to us. and. He basically said, uh, we can handle this uh, without any violations or that sort of thing if you want to clean up your mess. And so we went out there and we cleaned up the mess, and that's how I met him. And he was impressed, and it, it kind of goes on from there. Uh, Bates was so impressed with what we did that day. We went out and picked up everything. And we spent the whole morning and probably most of the afternoon picking up garbage. And it wasn't too long after that that he called me, and he said, uh, "Listen, listen, I, I, uh, I would like to set up some sort of a uh, like a high school rescue squad, uh, search and rescue squad, because there's there's nobody around here that's organized one before." And he said, "I know you like to you know go out in the Arches area and the Canyonlands area, and I know you like to hunt and that sort of thing." He said, uh, "I was just wondering if you'd be interested, maybe coming up with a few names of your high school." students so that you could trust to do something like that and get involved in a search and rescue program because his his assistant superintendent was uh, Slim Mayberry and uh, he was from Crater Lake and he had just I don't think he had been there that long but he was a he was a professional mountain climber and a, an instructor so Bates had everything set up for that type of a situation but this was all going to be done on sandstone and it was going to be done with Stokes litters, and the whole whole episode was going to be on search and rescue. Somebody falls off a cliff, you can go down and get him in the Stokes litter, and you you guys will be taught how to do that. And so, I I gave him seven or eight names, and uh, we started practicing every weekend, and they trained us, and we got pretty darn good at it, and we ended up actually saving a couple lives with uh, with uh, what we had learned. And uh, that's how I got to know him really well, and so much respect. He was just a, it was just basically just an unbelievable guy to work for and work with. He was just super duper in every category. Well, I, I moved to Moab in 1955 when I was in the sixth grade. Went to, went to uh, well, I, I don't even know the junior high then, but went to, went to school there. Graduated in 1961. I went to school with uh, Bates's daughter Julie, 
and his other daughter, Cindy. Uh, and uh, about, I think it was around 1958, Bates uh, contacted some of us to help him with a rescue squad uh, for the tourists and, and so forth that would get stranded in the various recreational uh, things around Moab and the rocks and so forth. Uh, he taught us how to repel, uh, uh, sort of took us un under his wing to, to help hold him out and, and probably help us at the same time. So that's, uh, that's basically what we did. Now it's all professional, I'm sure, by the uh, sheriff's department and so forth. But back in the old days, it was just whoever he could get a hold of out of, out of a high school to come help. Uh, <clears throat> Bates, uh, uh, like I say, basically trained us uh, from what, what training was, uh, repelling that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I went on three or four different rescue things. Uh, I had to pull one fellow uh, up out of a canyon. His uh, uh, rope had broken. He was doing some repelling, and uh, I think he was okay. Uh, a couple of other situations, <clears throat> nothing really exciting, just basically helping people uh, get out. Uh, a couple of my compatriots had had some situations where they actually had to retrieve uh, people that died and so forth. Uh, one of them I know uh, because uh, the uh, gentleman got lost in one of the myriad of places that you can in Moab and refused to drink any water in the potholes and ended up getting dehydrated and dying later, which was unfortunate because he could have easily saved himself. But I, I wasn't in on that particular rescue, so... It was, uh, you know, most most of the things that, that I went out on uh, were were fairly mundane, uh, no deaths, uh, just just uh, trying to help people out that were lost or or slightly injured type of thing. Plenty of those, and to be honest with you, I don't know. Probably the uh, 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 some of the officials there, uh, you know. Uh, tried to rescue them or, or did rescue them. Uh, I, I don't know what, what the uh, circumstances were that Bates thought that the, the high school kids could uh, help out, but it, it was a great thing for, for us because it probably taught us a little bit of responsibility, more than we had at the time, I'm sure. Right, right. And, uh, and hopefully it was a good thing for Bates also to, to, uh, uh, to help because there's a never-ending array of tourists that, uh, that get in trouble mm -hmm. and uh, uh, river I remember going on some river situations uh, diving for bodies and that type of thing thankfully mm. ne never uh, uh, never found any but uh, uh, one time we went down <clears throat> they used to have a uh, a uh, a uh, can't remember what they called it now but a, a river cruise from uh, Green River, Utah, down to the con confluence of the Colorado, then up to Colorado, and there were uh, uh, you know a hundred or more boaters on that. And I remember one time the uh, one of the boats got uh, got confused and didn't make the turn up the Colorado and went into the Cataract Canyon, which oh, is a no. really dangerous area of the Colorado. The uh, uh, the rapids there are like ten foot high in places. Wow. And myself and another fellow, I can't remember who it was with, but went down and we stayed down there two or three days looking for the for the, the uh, bodies, never did find them. I think they were recovered way downstream later on. But uh, it was not only the, 
the rocks that got some of them, the river certainly was, was a dangerous place at the same time, and, and we tried to help out there, especially some of us that were stronger swimmers. Yeah, that sounds like a disaster. Wow. The tourists, uh, mainly the tourists, I, I can't remember any of the locals uh, getting in trouble because, you know, most of us that were from around there knew the, the problems with the heat or the the uh, cliffs and that type of thing, but there was a, a never-ending array of tourists. It, it wasn't nearly what it is now. I'm sure they keep the, the uh, professionals going uh, probably nearly full-time, it would, I would think, with the number of tourists in the area now. Mm-hmm. Travel out with... Uh, passenger cars on some very rugged roads with no water and so forth, you know, just making day trips and then uh, get in trouble. <clears throat> I remember one time I, I read in, the, I think, a local paper about some people got in trouble that, that were literally trying to drink radiator water, you know, once their car had got high-centered or broken down or whatever, and uh, and it, it happens uh, all the time. And, and again, your, your friend is exactly right. I think... Uh, in a large majority of cases, it was just lack of common sense. I, I remember one time when we were trying to do the rescue, one that I mentioned before, uh, a rope had broken. It was a brand new rope. So I don't know what had happened there, but he took quite a fall and uh, uh, was basically unconscious. But I guess he recovered later on, as, as I understand it. So, yeah, a lot of different things can happen out in, out in the back country there. Absolutely. Uh, he was a really interesting fellow. His, uh, he, he had a ton of charisma. <clears throat> could, uh, uh, he, he was one of those uh, people that could sell ice water to, to Eskimos. Uh, as I understand it, it uh, with some of my friends that actually worked for it, <clears throat> or the people that knew him really well, he, he wasn't a great administrator, but he had a really good fellow that, uh, that did that type of work for him. So that's why uh, he was able to... Uh, uh, form the uh, Canyonlands or, or get all of the politicians and the bigwigs in to do that. And there is nobody better than taking people out, out into the wilderness, uh, camping out, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, camping out. And, and he was an excellent camp cook. And it was uh, it was really interesting. Uh, he, he was such a good guy. A lot of times he would take us high school kids out there and uh, no reason other than to uh, uh, just give us a taste of the grandeur of, of that country. I remember he took a, a number of us down into the Canyonlands one time out, out to Angel Arch and so forth, and we stayed there for four or five days. And just uh, he, he was just an amazing uh, entertainer and uh, uh, knew a lot about the back country and, and that type of thing, and, and just had a wonderful personality. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody that didn't like Bates, and he, he was quite a personality, really a strong personality. Mm. Uh, uh, well, he had uh, he had three children, mm-hmm. and uh, two of them, like I say, I went to high school with. Tug, his oldest son, was was uh, a few years older than me, so I think he had he may have still been in school when I was in the sixth grade, but uh, but don't even recall him, but I certainly knew Julie and Cindy quite well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, he, he was always interested in us kids, uh, really looked out for, uh, you know, everybody that was uh, that was interested in, in the arches or the canyon lands and so forth. Uh, do you recall me telling the story of, of us uh, kids that uh, when we were seniors in high school, we thought it would be a good idea after the junior prom 
to take our dates up into the arches because at that time it was it was wide open. You could go in any time you wanted to. And uh, we had a, a beer bust up in the, the windows area. And uh, we, we thought that was fun. And, and like the stupid kids that we were, we, of course, didn't pick up the beer cans or the trash that we generated. Next morning, about 8 o'clock, I got a knock on the front door, and it was Bates. <laughs> he, he basically said, I understand that you might have been up into my arches last night. He says, uh, round, up, uh, round up your buddies because you're coming up to clean place up, which we did. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was in that book that even that, that, uh, what blows sand in his, in his soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it taught us a good lesson. About a week later, they had a big... Uh, assembly at the high school and uh, uh, he talked about uh, you know cleaning up after yourselves uh, the danger of drinking when you're young that type of thing and the whole high school went up to clean up the arches except for the six or seven of us that had already done it <laughs> and that, that, that was pretty amusing but uh, uh, he, he was a real civic minded uh, minded fellow and uh, looked out for uh, the backcountry, probably, and and things like littering, that type of thing, uh, back before it was in vogue, and he was sort of way ahead of his time on that type of thing. Yeah, I I just remembered him shuttling in people. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I imagine it originated on the phone or by letters and so forth to uh, to uh, some of the uh, probably the Department of Interior or whoever. Uh, I was never involved in that, but we all knew that it was going on because he would bring anybody that, that was interested or that had any clout and take them down into, into Canyonlands and show them the grandeur of, of that area. Uh, that's probably one of the remotest areas in, uh, in all of the United States. And it, it just amazing, Chester Park and Angel Arch and some of those places down in there. And uh, I, I just know that it, it, if it hadn't have been for him, uh, introducing those people and and uh, spending time with them down there, and uh, his camp cooking was, was just absolutely amazing. And uh, he would also furnish uh, uh, a bit of whiskey at times too to to help uh, to help the cause. You know, I I can't think about it other than he he was just a truly a gentle soul. I, I never saw him upset. Uh, I remember when he was teaching us how to repel so forth just one of the true gentlemen never never seemed to get overly excited uh was just very passionate in, in what he did and uh, uh i remember one time uh one of my best friends was a fellow named gary zaransky and i were raised there in moab together uh his guardian a fellow taking care of him uh, and a couple of partners got a a chance to uh, start a, a gravel uh, recovery area, or you know, uh, r- right by the river bridge, and Bates saw that going on and just went crazy because it was right within the, you know, uh, you, you could see it from the road and so forth, and got that shut down uh, because it it just wasn't a very good environmental type of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, my. my my friend's guardian her, did not get very happy over that, but at the same time, it just showed the base was really looking out for the, you know, the well-being of that whole area. The travel operation that I was talking about wasn't within the arches. Uh, 
uh, national monument or anything, but at the same time, it affected the the whole area and and probably wasn't a good thing in that particular location. So uh, that's what upset him. So and he got it shut down and frankly had the clout to uh, shut it down because somebody had uh, uh, most likely issued the permits and so forth for it. But uh, that's a, that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, he was just a great guy all around. Just a just a really good man and and uh, you know. Uh, did a great job for that whole area because of tourism. You know, after the the uh, decline of the uranium boom, tourism basically has made that uh, made that town. Uh, and and there was a lot of controversy over that, obviously, because of the fact that for the most part, the uh, uh, the mines and the uranium uh, mill and so forth paid a lot better than the uh, tourist industry as far as the uh, employees go. At the same time, it, it brought a lot of problems with it. Uh, uh, when I was uh, graduated from high school, I actually worked at the at the uranium mill out there making uh, little rocks out of big ones on the Grizzly. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that for a summer. But it also brought a lot of problems with it, not for me personally, but <clears throat> a lot of the miners uh, uh, developed uh, all kind of problems, cancer problems and so forth, because mm-hmm. of working around that uh, that high radioactive content of a lot of those mines. My, my brother-in-law right now, who lives up here in North Idaho, near me, is has got some real serious lung problems now because of mining there when he was, uh, when he was a young man. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the History Hour once again, and this has just been an absolutely wonderful time interviewing Bates Wilson's family and friends. And next month, we're going to be doing second episode and we're going to be talking about the history of Canyonlands National Park and the major role that Bates Wilson had and of course we're going to hear it from his family and friends once again. So I'll meet you guys here at the last Monday of next month right here on KZMU. (laughs) 